fact, if somebody told me that, Abhishek, there's this classroom that you can go into where there are a hundred founders and you can connect with them every day, I would be very confident that I can get 20 of them as customers in the next six months. But for whatever reason, when we think about building a business online, uh, we are always thinking about how do we go broad? How do we reach out to 100,000 people? And that works if you have an audience, but for most people, it's just not feasible. So to create content on Twitter or LinkedIn, everything everybody thinks about impressions like, oh, if I create content on LinkedIn, it's going to have 1,000 impressions versus maybe 20 impressions in a community. But nobody talks about this value of being in a closed group and showing up day in and day out and then people start to know your name and stuff so that's what we use it's still content creation it's just that instead of 10,000 impressions you are aiming for really targeted 20-30 impressions day in and day out welcome to six figure secrets of fractional experts where we have candid conversations with successful fractional executives discussing their journey to build their independent consulting businesses and hearing their hard-earned lessons Today, I am thrilled to have Abhishek Kumar with us. Abhishek is the founder of Deep Research, a boutique market research agency that helps companies gather customer insights and use them to guide their product and growth strategy. He launched this agency in January of this year and did $15,000 in revenue last month, which is pretty great. So Abhishek, I'm really excited to dive into your growth story today. Thanks, Intesh, for inviting me. And this is going to be a fun chat. I'm really excited. I'm excited. I'm more excited. Abhishek, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, to start out, uh, can you tell me about your typical client? Who's your typical client and what does Deep Research do for them? Yeah, so most of our clients fall under two buckets. Uh, bucket one is you have an idea and you want that idea validated in the market. And the second one is you already have thousands of paying customers, but now you have not spoken to your audience in two years. You speak to them for feedback, but you haven't actually tried to understand what new use cases have emerged and what are the next features you should build or what is the next growth opportunity for your product. In both cases, when we deliver the report, uh, one is you try to hop uh, one is we try to hop on calls with all these uh, uh, customers or buyer personas, and then we try to give them a standardized uh, report that has everything that you would need as a founder to guide your product and marketing strategy. So those include, you know, what does your buyer persona look like? Uh, what's the price sensitivity? How do they make a buying decision? What are those factors influencing that? Where do they spend a lot of time? Uh, which communities, which newsletters? all those things and then the basic ones which is like what are the features that they would love uh, and uh, if you know all of those things then you'd know that this is the kind of messaging that resonates with them or this is a kind of uh, positioning that would work for them in the market and then you can use all of those insights to guide the marketing strategy because the biggest bottleneck we see with a lot of founders is when they are thinking about marketing they have a checklist of five different strategies that everybody is using but they don't know how to prioritize one versus the other. And that's what we do using all those insights. Hmm. Well, unique, first of all. Um, so you said that you work with the founders. What type of businesses are these founders typically building? And at what stage of um, revenue are they at? Are these uh, startups like tech startups or? Um, yeah, all of like them are. Their, yeah. Yeah, all of them are SaaS products. Uh, in terms of revenues, if they have an idea, then 
they are not making any money. They just have an idea that they want validated in the market. Uh, and then we have had customers who are making somewhere around five to $6 million with their SaaS products. They did a customer interview series when they were building the product, but now it's been three years and uh, the product is working really well. And now they probably have 10,000 paying customers because it's a B2C product, but they don't know the different ways in which people are using the product. Because as a founder, when you started building that product, you probably have two or three use cases in mind, but then founders are always surprised by the different ways in which people are using the product when you have like thousands of subscribers. Interesting. So it's um, mostly SaaS businesses who are doing mm -hmm. uh, a few million dollars in annual recurring revenue. Yep. Interesting. And um, and and what's your process uh, for for the research? Yeah. Uh, so it totally depends in terms of uh, how big the customer pool is. Like if you have ten thousand subscribers, we run a combination of phone calls and uh, surveys. If it's a few hundred people or the idea needs validation, then in those cases we solely rely on phone calls. But either way, we always hop on calls with people no matter how big or small the audience is. Uh, and then the way it works is we'll pick a small batch of 15 to 20 people who we want to speak to. And then we run an interview series and uh, uh, remember I told you about the reporting template that we have. So we need all those insights. And so we ask questions on them. But the thing about research is the most important insights, no matter how prepared you come, can't come from the first basic questions that you ask. It's always the follow-ups. Uh, somebody might mention some little thing about a doubt that they have or a perspective that they have, and that can open an entire new door for a product or marketing strategy. So we go in with a set of questions but what we have realized is, is, is the goal is in asking follow-up questions and trying to understand things from the customer's perspective a lot of times when you're very technical you understand uh, your product at a very deep level from a technical perspective but from the other end that person is probably a mechanic or a painter and they are using the product and they don't care about uh, the technical aspects of the product all they care about is the particular use case and bridging that gap is it does take a lot of like uh, uh, empathy from the customer's end as well. Hmm. I like this. Um, so you're basically like giving people an idea to get into the, uh, like not just an idea, but a strategy for getting into the next phase of their, um, let's say their company's growth. So if it, if it is, uh, people who are, uh, already working on a business that's making millions, you help them either find a marketing um, channel or market positioning that helps them unlock that or think of or uh, come up with a new product idea that can uh, help their existing customer base in a new way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can give you, I guess, uh, an example of uh, an existing client. So they, I think they had made about 5 million uh uh, in the past year through subscriptions and uh, they wanted us to go and speak to the users and when we went out there uh, the obvious ones were these are the features that you should build these are the different uh, buy personas that use your product but then uh, there were two newer use cases that the founder was not aware the product is used for by hundreds of people so those things came out we obviously spent a lot of time in that market and we realized that actually there is a huge potential market for that use case so right now, uh, with a partner agency, we are running a marketing campaign for that particular buyer persona that the founder was not at all aware of. And we have another mm -hmm. buyer persona that, that we need to run campaigns for. 
So that's how uh, we were able to guide not only the product strategy, because you have a new buyer persona, now you can use those insights to align the product accordingly, but also you guide the marketing strategy that this is a new buyer persona, this is where they hang out, this is the price that they're willing to pay, and here's how you can market to them. Uh, a very non-obvious thing from that research was uh, we realized that uh, you know the way the product works is you pay a one-time fee, and then within 45 days, you can upload pictures to their website. But the way it was worded on the on their homepage, it looked like uh, you would lose pictures after 45 days, but it wasn't so. The actual feature was you can upload pictures in the 45-day window, but once you upload it, it stays there forever. It's just that from the customer's perspective, if I were reading it, I would think that I would lose my pictures in 45 days. So they were losing tens of thousands of dollars in subscription revenue because these people were going to other competitors. And these, you know, I hopped on a couple of calls and then people were like, hey, uh, I'm, uh, I actually tried to use this other product because I lose pictures in 45 days. And then we were able to go back to the founder, clarify that we changed that one line in the website. And now you can actually see people not going to competitors uh, as a result of that particular thing. And you can also track that back in the support tickets where people are like really angry, like how stupid is it that I will lose pictures in for, and so those kinds of things. And that's uh, <laughs> that's an interesting story that we came across. And that happens all the time where uh, we have a template we think we are going to give, but then, customers always surprise us in different ways you can improve the product so you're basically and uh, you bring an external pair of eyes and help the company do very extensive user and market research and come up with insights to drive strategy that can help the business and you didn't uh, uh, you don't really have a background in this so before this you were working for an IT firm uh, based in the US uh, from India. And uh, and then you started doing market research for helping founders of uh, SaaS businesses. That feels yeah. like a SaaS transition. Can you take me uh, through this uh, story and tell, tell us how did you start doing the work of market research? Yeah, so uh, back in 2019, uh, I was working at Tech Mahindra in India and I was transferred to the UK. Uh, and I started doing this podcast uh, because I wanted to connect with founders. So I started interviewing uh, other startup founders. And through that, I was able to build a network. And then at the time, I had probably like four or five different side hustles. So I was creating videos for some founders because I had this TikTok page that had 130K followers. I was... Uh, I was ghostwriting for another founder. I was helping him uh, write an ebook, and that founder had sold his company for, I think, somewhere around 270 million. That never happened. The book wasn't published uh, because halfway through, he raised another fund of 30 million to go into Web3. But anyway, that was an interesting experience. I was helping a bunch of founders write Twitter threads. So I was, and then I was helping another creator founder who. I uh, wanted to build uh, a consulting business uh, for creators. So I was doing a bunch of things uh, for other founders. And time and again, uh, uh, people would come and uh, ask me to run customer interviews for them. And it's a thing that I started to enjoy a lot because when I was doing the podcast, uh, as a podcast host, you basically do the same thing. You find people you want in your show, you research their background, and then you ask them interesting questions. And so it was basically doing that, but guiding other people's uh, 
product and marketing strategy as well. And I started to enjoy that a lot. So uh, when I thought of quitting my job and going full time into it, I just wanted to focus on one thing and eliminate all the other tasks. So by the end of last year, I quit all my side hustles, started with the green slate, and then only kept on doing market research for this agency partnership that I have. Uh, this agency is based in the US. And then uh, when I came back to India, I started looking for clients only in the market research space. Now, to be fair, uh, if that idea failed, I probably would have started another agency where there was demand for one of the other side hustles. But this worked, so I stayed in the market. <laughs> <laughs> what was the other uh, like idea for the agency? There was a lot of demand and still is for people writing for CEOs. So ghost writing on Twitter and LinkedIn. And I have a couple friends who were making decent amount of money uh, doing that mm -hmm. in the business. There is a lot of demand for that as well. So that mm -hmm. was, I probably could have signed a couple clients through the connections that I had built. Uh, so that could be uh, one thing. The other was uh, creating videos for businesses or for founders. Uh, you know, a lot of these founders give a lot of podcast interviews and they want somebody to repurpose that content on other platforms. And there is a lot of demand for that as well. So there were a couple of things and uh, video editing was, I think I made my first $1,000 uh, in the digital space through that service. And I actually wasn't even selling it. I was in this group called OnDeck. Uh, for podcasters and they were teaching podcasting to other people and it was just an offhanded thing that i mentioned that i have built this tiktok page it has 130 something k followers and people started messaging me and asking me if i can do the same for them and it wasn't a like i was not a creator i was just repurposing content from youtube to tiktok uh, and there was not a lot of entrepreneurship related content on tiktok at the time uh, so yeah i i wasn't even selling a service but people wanted that and i was able to uh, make money from that and that was another thing that I possibly could have uh, tried had this agency failed. <laughs> nice so you had a, a lot of ideas you were like a, pretty much a jack of all trades for founders and um, you could have gone in any of these directions that you were already interested in. Yeah I mean I could have tried those things as well now I possibly wouldn't have enjoyed video editing for too long but Twitter ghost writing it's fun it's writing is fun. <laughs> Hmm. <laughs> writing is fun um do you do you have a uh, a blog or do you write somewhere online by yourself not as a ghostwriter i have done it on and off so i ran a newsletter for one and a half years uh then i stopped doing it uh, i used to be very active on twitter sharing you know other people's stories and stuff but then i uh, have almost stopped doing that as well. So on and off, it's I, I don't follow a very particular schedule where something's going to come out every week. But then on and off, I do uh, try to write whenever I feel like doing it. Mm. So you're not trying to build a Twitter audience? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, no, I was just curious about that. Um, let's go back to the, uh, the original track, which is your consulting business. Okay, so um, you told us how you started uh, with market research and doing the work that you're doing now. Um, tell us how you got your first client, who that client was, and um, how much did you charge them? Yeah, so uh, I had this partner agency in the US who I had been working for for more than a year at that point when I quit my job, and they were still a client. They still are a client. So in and a how sense, did you quit... get? Uh, sorry, uh, interrupting. Uh, how did uh, I get them? How did you get started with them? Yeah. 
Yeah, so there, there was there's this community called MicroConf, and Sophia, the founder of Ignore No More Agency, she had posted a uh, a job, a temporary job. Uh, it was I think four hundred dollars, and you have to interview thirty customers of a particular client of theirs. So that was the first okay. gig that I got, and ever since then I've run customer interviews for all of their clients. Uh, so, but that's how it came about. <laughs> I replied to that. Uh, uh, I think she had already spoken to a couple people, so it took her a month to go through that process. I think that that person didn't work out for Sophia and then she got back to me after a month. So that's how I got my first gig. Wait, okay, um, this is interesting. So you did 30 customers, uh, customer interviews and um, and the project price was like uh, $400. So yeah. that's not a lot of money. Why did you do yeah. that? At the time, I just wanted to, uh, you know, do that because I was trying to make money here and there. I was, I think I was making 10x but then that from my full-time job here in the UK. Exactly. So money was That's not what the, I would have expected. Yeah, money yeah. was not the issue there. I just wanted to experience that from the agency perspective. Uh, the good thing there, which to be honest, it wasn't strategic at that point, but I was the second hire of Sophia in her agency. So I got really lucky in the sense that when I joined her uh, agency uh, for the research bid, uh, she had one developer. She was doing the branding and marketing side of things. I was running the research side of things. So it gave me a lot of leverage in terms of what I could do for all of our clients because she was really busy. Sergio was doing web development. He was really busy. So I could take every bit of research and do a lot of work there and learn a lot of there. And also I could see her agency grow. I think now her team is eight to 10 people. So I've seen that grow from a small team to a slightly uh, bigger agency. So that experience uh, added up as well. But at the time, it was just me making very little money to learn because this was really interesting and I could speak to other people's customers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like your uh, philosophy there. Not a lot of people think this way. And I myself would be very hesitant about, um, you know, taking a pay cut, like a massive pay cut from my current hourly rate uh, to bet on just the experience and the learning experience of it. Um, yeah. What... I don't know. Uh, is there something uh, about how you think through things that makes uh, you different? That makes you uh, take that made you take this um, chance. That obviously it paid off really well. So uh, it got you started into uh, what you're doing right now. Yeah. Uh, so when I was doing the on deck podcasting fellowship, it was taught by this guy Sachit Gupta, and Sachit has worked with uh, Tim Ferriss, Seth Gordon, and a bunch of really big names in the uh, podcasting space. Uh, and uh, I worked with him for almost a year on side projects here and there. Uh, he had a bunch of ideas that he was working on at the time. Uh, and through him, I learned a lot about networking and building relationships. I used to think that networking is connecting with 100 people. But Sachit was like, no, you connect with five people and you build a really good relationship with them. Uh, and you do work for free if they are really busy. So this founder I was talking about, uh, uh, whom I was helping write a book. Now, this is this person has sold a business for 270 million. There's no way I can add a lot of value to his life. Uh, because he, uh, like, you would think that he has a huge network and he can do a lot. Uh, this person, he was running a Twitter live show at the time. Twitter had just launched the live. Uh, I think what was the other? Uh, was it Clubhouse? The audio, Clubhouse. Uh, yeah, audio, yeah, club. The audio platform. So Twitter had launched their audio, live audio feature Twitter as well. Spaces. 
that Twitter spaces and this person was doing podcast there and he had a lot of very interesting guests but the thing is and a thousand people would attend his live sessions at a time so he had a decent audience so i just emailed him i said hey you know what all these people are attending these uh sessions and i bet there are more people interested in these recordings now you don't have a podcast but i have a podcast on my own can you send me the recording and i will just share it with my audience my audience is probably 100 people so anyway he shared the recording shared <laughs> <laughs> the recording i uh, uh we got talking and then i told him well there are so many interesting insights here why don't you compile it into a book uh and then you can send this book to all of your guests and there's not a lot of monetary roi there but it's a lot of goodwill and his guests were also like multi millionaires they had built very huge big businesses i think sam par from my first million was a guest of his and other huge people so anyway uh, so we started working on that ebook project and but i learned a lot uh, through this process that such it taught me that a lot of really busy people uh if you apply for a job it's really tough but if you can think what is interesting to them and help them there for free uh then you can build a really valuable connection with them so i think for almost uh two years a lot of my side projects were things i was doing for free for other people that created a lot of goodwill helped me build my connection and uh now like uh, i made money from all of them over time but at the time that was not the mindset it happens once you build a relationship you help other people money just comes in automatically <laughs> that is you know uh i need to learn first of all i need to learn networking from you because the way you're approaching networking it obviously um it's like wisdom more than just knowledge i've heard people say this but i can see that you're living it so um there's a lot that i need to learn about this approach and um and then uh, secondly uh having this idea that money uh, comes in money always comes in it, it comes off like um, i don't know it, it feels a little risky uh, to to some of the people i i know i've heard uh, people in the community um have such reservation about you know discounting their rates or working for free because then they're worried that they're going to be stuck at um at the sloping thing forever and it's going to be really difficult for them to uh just ask for a substantial increase in their uh you know in their rates so maybe right now you're working like in order to gain the experience you're working for 10 dollars but but you know maybe after 6 months or uh, you know however long uh, it is that period is for you you you're gonna want to move into the 100 dollars uh, an hour range and taking that jump like not a lot of people are going to be able to um accept this kind of an increment in your payments so how uh, what do you say to those people i i have actually day? changed my mind on that in a sense that once you have leverage once you have worked with a couple people that are probably widely known in your small industry then i would say either do something for free or charge a really high premium uh once you have leverage i would say don't go for uh, uh prices in the range of 400 dollars or 800 dollars like when i i was doing this uh thing for other people for very little money but when i came back to india and i thought of launching the agency i automatically pushed my prices to 4000 dollars because i didn't want to uh discount myself at a lower price range in the range of 1000 dollars or so so automatically the uh, base package that i had was was 4000 dollars uh, for research uh now i had thought that a lot of people would not uh buy that which happened you know at a 400 dollar range 
you will get a lot of indie hackers as clients because then they can afford you at a $4,000 range. Most of these people have either they have an established business or they have probably a full-time job through which they can pay you money or they have had a successful exit through which they can pay you some money. Now we have added another package that is $10,000. So at this range, we are getting startups that have raised funding or private limited companies that are trying newer ideas. So I would say absolutely increase your prices, but also think about how does your buyer persona evolve? Like you don't have to stick to that buyer persona and think about how you can squeeze more money out of them if that is not possible. If you have founders who have made $100 million as customers, you can obviously 10x your prices and still have them. In my case, I had indie hackers as customers. I couldn't. So I had to evolve the buyer persona. And was that difficult going from, um, like, uh, I, I'm sure that it was, <coughs> excuse me, I'm sure that it was, uh, it, it felt like a risky move at the time, you know, changing, just um, letting go of the persona that you already had uh, some network in and going into a completely different, like the next level up. So did it, that it was it was scary, but once I got the first customer, it gave me a lot of confidence. Like I always tell all my clients as well that once you have, like, unless you have the customer's money in the bank, your idea is not validated. So I wanted to try the $4,000 range, but then it, I was really scared that this probably will not work out. The thing was I could have always gone back to my previous pricing of somewhere in the range of $800 to $1,000 uh, that I had increased over time from 4, 000, for 400 So I could have always gone back to that but I just wanted to try this for a while. And once I got clients at the 4,000 range, uh, after like two or three months, I was really confident that this is a price point at which I can comfortably get a lot of customers. Then when I wanted to try the $10,000 range, that was very scary. But now once we got money through that, now it's like, oh, we can do it. It's possible there is a market for that service as well. And to think this from the other person's perspective is also the report that we were delivering at $400 the $4,000 report is certainly much, much better. The $10,000 report is 10x from the 4001 So the kind of uh, results that we are delivering for our clients, it's just phenomenal in terms of what you can do once you have the money in. Because now you can hire experts in particular niches. You can pay for subscriptions that will help you get a lot more data and make you better, uh, make you a better decision maker. So things like that, you know, it's not just about increasing prices. It's about what you can deliver to the clients. I would never be able to deliver the value that we we deliver to our clients at the ten thousand dollar range at a four hundred. It's it's just a different ball game. Right, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and uh, it's it's really interesting to hear how you're not trying to like have step increases in your uh in your packages. Not not uh, trying to have gradual increases in your packages, but you're just taking steps like huge steps, so four hundred to four thousand, then four thousand to ten thousand. Um, how did you get? Who was the first four thousand dollar client, and how did you get them? Uh, I got this client from this community called uh, Trends VC. Uh, so. Mm -hmm. Uh, I joined that community in the beginning of the year. I had, uh, it's written by this guy, Drew Riley. I had read his tweets for more than a year by then. I had also I was also subscribed to his free newsletter and he used to write uh, good reports on various trends in the market uh, for other founders. 
So it's on the community. It has about a thousand people. It's a really engaging community, and they have daily standups. So I post. I started posting regularly in that daily standup that this is what I'm doing, and automatically after a week or so, people started asking me about the work that I was doing. So we got our first client uh, from that community. Uh, the second one was a book that I read, and I emailed their author, and I got them as a client. Uh, <laughs> That's epic. <laughs> <laughs> That's <is. laughs> okay. Um. So you are obviously really big into communities, and um, you've already told us about I think three communities that you joined and were able to um get clients from there, and you've been doing this since. Since before you, uh, you you've been joining communities and participating in them. Since before you had um, any kind of, uh, any kind of uh, confidence that it will work for you for building the business. Um, can you tell me, tell us about that strategy of yours? This is super unique. You're hanging out in small communities and getting clients from there. So. Um, Tell us a little more about this because uh, people in our uh, in our audience are not doing this. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the way I think about it is, you know, my boss, my personas are early stage founders. If somebody told me that Abhishek, there's this classroom that you can go into where there are a hundred founders and you can connect with them every day, I would be very confident that I can get twenty of them as customers in the next six months. But for whatever reason, when we think about building a business online, uh, we are always thinking about how do we go broad? How do we reach out to 100,000 people? And that works if you have an audience, but for most people, it's just not feasible. So to create content on Twitter or LinkedIn, everything everybody thinks about impressions like, oh, if I create content on LinkedIn, it's going to have 1,000 impressions versus maybe 20 impressions in a community. But nobody talks about this value of being in a closed group and showing up day in and day out. And then people start to know your name and stuff. So that's what we use. We leverage communities for. All of these communities have probably a few hundred members to a few thousand members, certainly less than 10,000 in most cases. Uh, if you spend a year in most of these communities interacting with people, hopping on calls with them, answering their questions that are relevant to your business. After about six to eight months, a bunch of people will know you by your name and by what you do. And so word starts to spread out. Uh, so I think I've hopped on uh, calls with like 30 to 50 people in each of these communities. So now a bunch of people know me. Very rarely does it happen that when I'll hop on a call, the other person will need research immediately. But what happens is all of these are founders. Like, I don't know any founder who has had just one idea in their life. Everybody has side projects or everybody has newer ideas and they are constantly trying to build stuff. So six months down the line, they'll be like, I want to test this idea, but I have the money, but I don't have the time. I'm really busy. I'm running this $10 million company on the side, so I can't do it. And then they're going to be like, hey, Abhishek, can you do this for me? Or in other cases, they might meet somebody who needs research and they might recommend us. The other uh, I guess advantage that we have is in most of these communities, you will see a lot of agencies that are web development agencies, marketing agencies, SEO agencies, blah, blah, blah. You don't see a lot of research agencies in these communities. So one is I would say find communities where your buyer personas hang out. You have an mm -hmm. added advantage if the service that you provide is not prevailing. Like it's not a thing that a lot of people are doing in the community because then you can start to uh, build your name out really quickly. And 
posting in communities or speaking to founders one-on-one, it's still content creation. It's just that instead of 10,000 impressions, you are aiming for really targeted 20, 30 impressions day in and day out. And that helps you convert really well. Hmm. I love this philosophy. I have a lot of follow-up questions. So um, I'm going to shoot them. The difference, one of the other differences between posting on Twitter or LinkedIn is that you're able to see the impact of those um, content creation efforts in terms of the exact numbers. So your this post that you said, it got X impressions and it was liked by so many people that you can see and all of that. But that's obviously not the, not the case with, uh, let's say, Slack communities. So um, it's difficult to, uh, I don't know, uh, I would imagine that it would be difficult for you to measure and get any feedback on whether you're doing the right thing or not. Do you have a system for doing, uh, like keeping a sort of a pulse on your process? Or I, I really love this philosophy from this guy, J.K. Molina. He's pretty active on Twitter. He has this uh, quote called likes ain't cash, which is like, you can get a lot of likes, but it's not money in the bank. So the as an agency owner, if you're starting it out, all you need to track is the number of conversations that are happening in your DMs. And then how many conversations does it take for you to make money? So for example, three months uh, down the line, I knew that if I hopped on 20 calls, I would make $8,000. That was just clear cut. Mm. These are the calls, $8,000. That's how I had been able to track uh, those calls back. So I wasn't even measuring likes and stuff. Uh, you still can, like whenever you post in communities, people do react. So you can take like some measurements there. A bunch of people will DM you in your this thing. I do agree that you will get more likes on Twitter and LinkedIn. And not to say that you should not do it. Uh, I mean, try everything. Uh, but it's like when I think about uh, building, uh, you know, your agency, uh, you should think about all these strategies as a ladder. So what is the ladder one of content creation? It's not, if you have like 800 followers on Twitter, like myself, Twitter cannot be my number one uh, client acquisition strategy. It's just, I can't create a lot of impact there. But if uh, there is a community that has 400 members and 40 people know me by name, and all of these are founders, that's where I have a lot of leverage. So I should still do Twitter, but 80% of my efforts should go into these communities where people know me already. Eventually, Maybe there comes a point when I have a $20,000 package and most of these communities uh, have founders that cannot afford me. At that point, LinkedIn will make more sense than communities because now I have to go to presidents and vice presidents, C-suite level executives of all of these companies. So, I mean, right now it makes sense for us to be in these communities. Who knows, maybe a year from now, I'll be on this call and I'll be like, go for Twitter, go for LinkedIn. It's like a ladder approach. There are, everything works. SEO works, ads work, podcast guesting works. It's just like, at what stage do you put lots of effort into which it's like, it's, you know, it's like prioritizing your marketing strategies. Like we do it for our clients, but you also have to do, think about how do you prioritize things for yourself as well. And I would say that whatever your agency, like branding agencies are really bad at rebranding themselves. And it's, it's the same with research agencies. We are really bad at prioritizing strategies for ourselves. And we have made tons of mistakes along the way. But that's how I think about it right now. I love this. I love this approach. And I really um, agree with what you said uh, and this philosophy about hanging out in a community and that being like you being in a classroom of 100 people who who are your, uh, you know, like your ideal buyer persona. And um, you would absolutely go to that classroom. Um, in fact, I think uh, like 
these online niche online communities are able to create uh, uh, an environment a virtual environment that brings us like lifts us out of our own physical environment so you've been able to network with uh, this kind of uh, you know this kind of community these kind of people uh, while sitting in uk or even india and um, mm. that is one of the uh, like one of the advantages of being in 2020 versus even say 2010 where these right. communities did not exist right right <laughs> okay um so i've got uh, another question for you uh, let's like wait uh, sophia your first line um you wrote in one of the uh, articles that you published that she became your uh, mentor and helped you get your business off the ground can you get into the specifics of that how did she help you and um, what impact did that have yeah so one was uh, like we mentioned earlier i had already seen her grow her business you know get her first clients and things like that but when i was starting my agency uh, most of the online strategies were focused on seo which takes about a year to get some reasonable results or content creation like with 800 followers i'm not creating a lot of impact for the next 6 months i could get lucky but who knows uh, people talk about google youtube ads or whatever and uh, It, basically what it meant was i would have to spend maybe a lot of money or a lot of time before i got my first dollar in and sophia at the time was was getting a lot of uh, clients through communities herself so when i launched my own agency uh, i could just hop on a call with sophia and tell her just show me your email template that you're using or show me the dm that you're sending to other founders can i hop on a call with you and so i actually did a couple of demo calls with sophia i hopped on a call and i tried to sell her the research uh, report uh, with her acting as a potential client and then she would give me feedback on abhishek you did this wrong this is where you should have gone in the sales mode you were too weak here this is where you should build a relationship versus being too professional and things like that so that and that's something that i mentioned in the article as well which is i probably like read tons of articles on forbes and inc and there are lots of very valuable tips there but uh it's not very actionable and the thing with any strategy is if i read a twitter thread on years how we got 100000 followers i can probably replicate that step uh, uh i can uh, probably like replicate the entire workflow step by step and still not be able to get 10% of those results but if i knew that person personally i could go back to them and tell them hey i tried this this is not working this is my entire flow can you tweak this and give me feedback on it and that's what sophia did for me that i could always hop on a call with her and this is not only regarding those sales calls this is about everything this is what my contract looks like this is the report that i'm thinking of delivering to clients uh giving them the entire client experience how do i onboard them how do i communicate them on a weekly basis what should the exit look like once they have ex- exited the agency how do i get them for more referrals all those little things like it's really difficult to uh, do a good job by reading other articles but if you have somebody who you can hop on a call with get their exact templates tweak them according to your own service or agency then it really gets easy for you to uh, you to execute those things this is very cool of sofia to uh, help you like this so like um was she doing it just because 
she liked you and out of the goodness of her heart she's an amazing person she does it for everybody <laughs> she does it for oh, everybody wow. <laughs> like her client calls like those are not client calls everybody is a friend of hers i have uh, like it's it's the dream thing to have that kind of a relationship with people she's really good at it this <laughs> <laughs> is amazing <laughs> Okay, maybe maybe i should try to get sophia on this podcast <laughs> you should you should <laughs> awesome. okay um tell us about who are the other people who are working at your agency maybe start mm-hmm. with the first person you hired and why you hired them so the first person is jack she's from philippines she is my va she's actually awesome i'm really bad at delegating stuff but she's the kind of a person who is like if it's be 24 hours and i have not given her any work i receive messages and calls and 10 notifications from her <laughs> so <laughs> she helps with uh, uh the outreach part of the agency and also with the research part uh, also with outreach it's uh, outreach for us as an agency communicating with clients and potential customers and it's also outreach for our clients because if you come to us with an idea you probably have three buyer personas in mind but now when we have to get 20 people on a call we probably have to reach out to 500 to 1000 people so once i set up the campaigns uh, the messaging all of those things are run by uh, jack uh, the second person i hired was maria who is the ui ux person for the 10000 dollar package i'm really bad at design and she has spent 10 years in the ui ux space so she is uh, helping us do that so once those uh, customer interviews are done i have all the insights in place i can give all those core recordings to her and then she will use those to create a website design and an application design and she did a really good work for our previous client and then the third uh, person i hired uh, uh, she's another va and she helps me with managing uh, my crm i'm really bad i'm really good at uh, communicating with people in the first call but and the thing is i used to do better follow ups when i had fewer calls you know connecting with one or two people on a monthly basis but when you are connecting with 20 people to 25 people a month it really mm-hmm. gets it becomes sort of a job to manage all those relationships as well and i'm really bad at it uh, i realized that after a few months uh, i had it been in touch with most of these people so it started to become sort of a numbers game which it should not be and so i hired this person to help me manage the entire crm so what happens now is every time i hop on a call I'll create a note. I'll send her her a note on WhatsApp, and then she'll update it in an Excel sheet with the date when I should reach out to them uh, next. And three months down the line, if I only remember their name, I can go back to my notes and see what the context was and uh, message them accordingly. So that's the thing that she's helping me with. <laughs> This is really really cool. So I love how you're um, uh, organizing uh, your your work life by delegating the things that you're bad at and um, recognizing them so that you can delegate them in the first place. Mm. This is um okay this is going to be uh, useful for uh, for the listeners because a lot of them are trying to hire their first VA or trying to um just think about how to make the next hire. Mm. Um okay. Abhishek, uh, so the last question for this interview um you you mentioned uh, uh now you've talked a lot of times about how you raised the prices from 400 to 4000 then from 4000 to 10000 um what what will you say to people who are thinking about raising their prices and um and are nervous about it because they fear that they're not going to get customers through that mm-hmm. 
yeah like i would say keep getting customers for the price point that you're working at currently but also try the higher price point and uh, uh, the thing is i'm not like i would not suggest you to stop getting customers entirely at your present price point because if your next price point fails you don't have like any money coming in so let that money roll in keep some existing customers who can pay you the amount that they are paying you currently but at the same time think about how you can reach out to uh, big other buyer personas that you can charge them more and try to test those things as well and the obvious thing that will happen is maybe sometimes uh, you lose the $10,000 client who would probably have paid you $4,000 and that is the trade-off that you make. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> all right, Navishek, um, those are all the questions that I had for this interview. Um, this was fantastic talking to you. You have been through an amazing journey and um, I, I wish you all the best for even more growth and more uh, clients and customers in the future. Thank you, Nitesh. This was fun. Thank you for inviting me.